Does it go like this for you too? I can't wait to get on vacation. Then I'm on vacation and I can't wait to get back. And then I get back and oh man, I miss vacation. What do I do? How can I handle all the anxiety, all the tension, all the fear? Am I ever going to do anything? Am I ever going to get back in the swing of things? Am I ever going to feel like I'm in a groove again? Welcome to Consciously, a podcast focused on honest conversation by regular people and for regular people seeking spiritual growth. Hey there, Consciously. Welcome back. I'm really grateful to be back uh, in the chair in front of the microphone, uh, try to bring you some uh, interesting, thought-provoking content. Uh, it was a really nice break over Chag, over the Sukkot holiday. I was really had a time to step back and reflect and take some time to uh, recuperate from a long six weeks, but really a long six months that I've been experiencing. And uh, I'm really excited to uh, jump back in and get back in the saddle. So uh, first of all, before we start, um, I want to just remind you that uh, if you like the show, it really, really helps us to uh, give it a five-star review on Apple, Uh, leave it with a comment or or anything else like that that helps get the word out. Also, I'm not much of a promotion kind of guy, so uh, if you think that the content is nice for other people or you think it would be suit other people, please share it with them. Uh, Spread the word. That'd be really useful. We're doing our best to kind of uh, get through here, kind of uh, flying by the seat of our pants. It uh, definitely helps out if the audience uh, can give us a hand. Also, uh, just want to remind you to join us on social media, on our Facebook and Instagram pages, um, which include Consciously, and also, um, which include Consciously, and also The Light Revealed, which is a, an affiliated project that I'm working on. Some great content on there. Uh, putting out content like three times a week. I think the the reflections are really thought provoking. Uh, can be used as uh, meditative tools, or uh, you know, to springboard discussion and conversation. Um, also, um, my book Consciously uh, by the same name is out in stores and online. It's it's been great. The response has been really great. I'm really thankful uh, and an opportunity to reread through it again over the chag. Sat down and discussing it with my daughter and my son who have been reading it. And my wife also. Um, so that was also really, really um, meaningful for me, and I'm really excited to share it all with you, and um, looking forward to some really positive things moving forward. Some some of them related to the book, uh, which we're going to announce soon, some other things that we're really excited about. Also, I have a couple of really great interviews coming up that I have scheduled, and uh, a third that, thank God, got back to me today, so hopefully I have those coming down the pike, and um, working on a great new series that uh, I'll be looking to put out in the next couple months. So hopefully that'll be really meaningful. So here I am coming back. And that's kind of what's been uh, pervading my mind since I got back to the office on Monday. You know, it's always a challenge to get back into the office, back into the swing of things after a break. It's always a struggle to kind of get back into a good rhythm. You know, I find a lot of times when I, when I take a vacation, I kind of get lost in the break mindset. On the one hand, I get lost in just the mindset of not being busy with things as if that's a reality, as if that's an existence I can live in. I I tend when I'm on break, I'm I'm less anxious, I'm less overwhelmed, I'm less scrambled. So I tend to like, my prayer is better. Um, My learning, my studying is better. My, a lot of my interpersonal relationships are better um, unless they're getting in the way of my chill. (laughs) But uh, we try to work on that. But um, but it's very easy to kind of get lost in 
that break mindset. And what happens is I get back into the swing of things. I come back after the holidays or after a vacation. Suddenly I'm inundated with anxiety um, and frustration, some of which I maybe left in the office before I left, some of which I've been kind of ignoring along the way that kind of cropped up, and some of which is new because, uh, you know, every time we get back into things, there's a kind of a new energy about it. Okay, what's the plan? There's a new um, Zman ahead, a new period of time ahead of us. We're heading into the winter 2020, 2021, and who knows what's that, what that's going to look like. I, have, I know what my past falls and winters have looked like, um, but I have no idea what this winter is going to look like. And that kind of fills me with a sense of anxiety and dread and fear, um, but also some excitement, some excitement for the opportunity to be creative and the opportunity to try new things. The question that kind of emerges is, okay, so what do I do with all that stuff? How can I handle that anxiety? And and I think part of that process uh, entails two parts. So first of all, there's like the acute anxiety, right? There's the the immediate anxiety that I'm feeling. I'm my heart rate is up. I'm feeling kind of uncomfortable. Um, what, what's interesting that I found is that the more anxious I am, the more coffee I drink, which actually only exacerbates the anxiety. So I'm busy uh, getting high on. Uh, you know, on the speed of caffeine. And then I'm wondering why I'm, you know, crawling out of my skin. So um, there's that, there's that aspect. How do I kind of quiet that down? And then there's also kind of on a, a, a global level in my life, how can I kind of reduce this underlying tension that's going on? Uh, one of the interesting frames I think we've talked about before that Viktor Frankl talks about is that the most pervasive and difficult aspects of mental health as relates kind of a normative experience of um, anxiety and depression. I'm not talking about like a, a deep depression that requires hospitalization. That's not the level of depression that we're talking about, but rather the kind of normative uh, sadness or melancholy that people go through and the kind of normative and regular anxieties that we experience. Um, and Frankel talks about how what's more challenging then anxiety and depression itself is the depression and anxiety we have about being anxious and the depression and anxiety that we have about being depressed. That those kind of secondary reactions and responses to what's going on inside of us are actually what makes it more difficult for us to be adaptive and oftentimes drive us to a place of dysfunction. So we really want to address though that aspect, like the anxiety about the anxiety, the depression about the anxiety. Um, and then if there's depression there as well, the other, on the other end. So, so that's what we kind of want to think about. So obviously the, the immediate layers of anxiety, I don't, I don't know how obvious it is, but the immediate layers of anxiety are addressed, um, through tools, um, a realizing that the anxiety, that the immediate anxiety, the, the acute anxiety is temporary. It's something that I'm feeling right now. It's a feeling. It's not necessarily a fact. It's a reaction to facts on the ground, but it's not the facts themselves, and to take some measures, um, some of those are self-care oriented and some of those are self-regulation oriented and to be able to try to kind of lower my intensity level. And and one of the things we can do is related to what I just said, which is realizing like I'm coming back into a new period of time. I'm returning from a vacation or from a break and I'm, I'm going to feel anxious on the upfront. I know that it's going to be overwhelming 
and I think we all know this a little bit. We like to pretend that it's not going to be that way, but we we get there. We get there on Monday. Forget a vacation, even the weekend. You know, we get everyone hates Mondays. And when we say that, the cliche thing that we hate Mondays is because we don't like that experience, that anxiety, that tension that we feel when we get to the office and it's a new week and we have to start again the process that we started the week before. So one thing is just to acknowledge that there's going to be anxiety. And I mentioned before a couple of words that I think are really important. One is self-care oriented and one is self-regulation oriented. And those, I think, are very, very important terms because they're not one and the same thing. And people oftentimes confuse them and conflate them. And that makes it seem like superficial and silly, um, but they're really, they're, they're really not at all. So self-care refers to the fact that our bodies, our minds, ourselves are, are like little kids. We, we need nurturing and care. That includes a nice meal. It includes some sleep. It includes rewards, you know, just like my kids. If I want to encourage them and support them and motivate them to work hard, I will give them reward. So too with myself. I have to reward myself. If I work hard, it's really, really important um, to reward yourself for a job well done. There's a part of me, there's a part of each of us that's a, a teenager or a small child that's more oriented, as we've discussed many times in the show, more oriented towards immediate pleasure or immediate satisfaction. And that part needs to experience reward for a good job well done. And self-care oftentimes incorporates a lot of those things. And those those can be by getting a treat. It can be food-oriented. It doesn't have to be. Uh, but I don't think it's appropriate to shame that fact, sometimes a, in an appropriate manner for somebody who's not struggling with obesity, right, et cetera, et cetera, to treat yourself with something that you don't normally have is, I think, I think a good thing. But also time off or relaxation or taking a break or going for a drive or whatever it is that, that really nurtures you and nourishes you. And allows you to jump back in. So that's one component. That's called self-care, I think. The other self-regulation, and this is where it gets kind of conflated, oftentimes the self-regulation stuff, which is the more depth work and it's more mature oriented and it's, you know, more, less superficial. And I don't mean that in a judgmental way, but it's it's fundamentally less superficial. The self-regulation work is the work that we do to kind of to regulate ourselves, our bodies, our minds. Um, and to bring it back into a state of balance. And the things that relate to self-regulation are like exercise, even though exercise can be nurturing for those who enjoy it. Not everybody enjoys exercise, Um, but uh, exercise, fresh air, mindfulness, meditation, lighting a, a pleasant smelling candle and sitting quietly, right? Those are things that are not necessarily nurturing, self-nurturing, but they are fundamentally allow our brains to kind of settle down and settle in. And they become very, very important components of getting through those initial reactions to the realities of life. So in terms of dealing with the surface level anxiety, right, what what do I do? So the, the answer to that oftentimes is some measures of self-care, self-nurturing and some measures of self-regulation. Uh, also, I didn't, I didn't include journaling. That's amazing. Uh, therapy, um, so talk therapy is, is very, very, a very effective tool. Uh, people that go to recovery meetings, uh, those can be very, very meaningful, be it people in recovery or not in recovery, helping other people, um, being useful to other people, being useful to specifically people that are in need, uh, volunteering, all those kind of things. Even sitting down and uh, doing your books, 
um, can be a very, very self-regulating process if done for that reason. Obviously, you have to do your books for a maturity reason, but sometimes just looking over your finances, whether they're good or bad, just kind of writing it down allows us to, writing things down in general in black and white is, is a really good way to kind of just allowing us to settle our minds, right? So there's the self-regulation and the self-nurturing. So those are, that, that's the first key, I think, I think, to those handling that initial anxiety. But the question becomes, how do I handle some of that more internalized underneath existential anxiety that's going on every time I encounter a new thing, be it on the, on the most simple level, any Monday morning after a weekend to coming home from vacation to finishing, you know, like I just did the, the long string of the Jewish holidays, which is a seven week process of intensity and responsibility and enjoyment and pleasure and, and meaningfulness, et cetera, et cetera. So how, how do I do that? How do I address all those things? So I, I learned an unbelievable teaching that I think is wonderful with, uh, actually I learned it a couple times over the Chag, over the holiday, it just happened to come up in my regular study. And, uh, and I, I was having a very hard time with it. And then I reviewed it a couple of times. Then I sat down with my friend Morty, um, over the last day of Sukkot and we really went through it. And it's a teaching from Rabbi Nachman of Breslov from, uh, Torah Lamed Bays, the 32nd, the 32nd Torah in the Kuti Maharan, which interestingly enough, enough also spells leave. Lamed Bays is 32, is just leave, which is the heart. So there's a Torah there, and I'm not going to discuss the entire Torah. It's actually very, very Kabbalistic in its language, and I'm not um, much of a Kabbalist, so I just kind of take those things at face value. I don't try to jump into them as a, as a matter of um, advice and guidance if you're not like steeped in Kabbalah, but you want to access some of these teachings. Having English translations and commentaries is, is, is oftentimes very, very useful, but also it's just the ability to accept things at face value and then look for the way in which these teachings relate to your life on a practical level. And that oftentimes is the way that I approach these things. I don't really get lost in too much of the, the Kabbalistic aspects. And, and, and in that way, I find a lot, a lot of meaning, particularly in the Kutam Aran, the teachings of Rabbi Nachman, but, but not exclusively that, really throughout um, my experience with teachings in Hasidus and um, other schools. So Rabbi Nachman, the 32nd Torah, refers to two aspects of the name of God, which relate to the inner part of our being. Now, this is just my understanding of this, and it's likely simplistic, but I find that it rings true, and I, f- I think it's based in authenticity. So there are different names for God in Judaism, and those different names, they don't describe different gods or even different aspects of God, but different ways in which God encounters the universe. And because, and this is a concept that we've discussed before, because mibesari echaze aloka, because the, the the Torah tells us that from our own flesh we can come to see God, because we are composed of the same substructure as the way in which God engages the world. It's not the same substructure as God, because God is without structure, but the way in which God encounters the world, by learning about God, we come to learn about ourselves. And one of those names of God is Ekeh. Aleph, then He, then Yud, then He. And that's actually first introduced in the Torah to Moshe Rabbeinu, to Moses, when he's by the um, the burning bush. Uh, and he's by the burning bush, and he, and he says to God, God is sending him down to the Israelites to tell them that he's going to save them. And, and Moses says, well, how will, I, how will they know you? And he introduces himself as Ekiah, I will be, uh, which is the, which is the uh, English translation of the Hebrew word, Ekiah, Aleph, then He, then Yud, then He. So, 
Akia is a is a certain, and we're not going to talk about how Akia relates to God. We're actually going to talk about Akia within ourselves. I will be. So there's a certain energy inside of us, which is a drive to be what we're destined to be. And what Rabbi Nachman alludes to over there, I think, is that there's really two aspects of Akia. There's Akia as it exists without a dream, without a sense of purpose and mission. There's where I know I want to do something, but I don't know where I want to go. I don't know what I want to do. I haven't found what he's talking over there. I haven't found my zivug. I haven't found my intended. I haven't found my mission. And when I'm in that space of ekia, I when I'm in that space that lacks a sense of aspirational dream and purpose, I encounter tremendous resistance within my own mind. I encounter 320 layers of resistance within my whole my own mind that tell me that I'm not going to be good enough. And it's never going to happen, and I don't deserve it, and it's a waste of time, and nothing's ever going to work out, etc., etc., etc. I encounter all of these dark forces that tell me to run and hide and to run away. And that's Akia, that's this drive to be something, to make something of myself, without my zivug, without my sense of dream, mission, and purpose. But when Akia, when my desire to be, to become who I am meant to be, is connected with a sense of mission and a dream and a purpose where I'm meant to be, a, a destiny. That's probably a great word I didn't use before, a destiny. Right? They have Eke without destiny and they have Eke with destiny. Right. So when Eke encounters its destiny, then all of those layers of internal resistance, all of those voices that tell us that we're not good enough begin to fall away. And I think as people, we encounter this often, is that we, we can feel all this hesitation to kind of jump in. But when we feel like, we're doing what we were meant to do, when we feel like what we're doing has purpose and value and gives us a sense of missionhood, we receive this almost spiritual adrenaline that drives us forward. And suddenly all those things that previously had held us back are shattered. They fall away as if they were never there in the first place. And I think that that's what Rabbi Nachman's talking about, though he's talking about it at a Kabbalistic level. So what he's explaining there, I think, and what's what, what was revealed for me, at least in my experience of that teaching, is that the challenge when I encounter these new moments where I, I kind of know that I'm headed somewhere, I know that I'm going somewhere, before I have a sense of mission and purpose versus after are, are huge. There's a huge separation between those two things, right? When I'm without dream, mission, a sense of destiny, then I'm, I'm encountering all those negative voices and I encounter this underlying anxiety, which then manifests into an externalized anxiety that relates to the details of my life because I feel like I can't handle it. I feel like it's overwhelming. I feel like everyone's in my way. I'm busy trying to outlast, outplay, outduel everyone in the world. And I, I, I'm never going to get there. And I'm overwhelmed with anxiety. And then I encounter a melancholy, a sadness when I, I feel like I'm never going to make it. I'm never going to be anything of myself. So that's one way of encountering the world. And that is the where the underlying anxiety is driven by the ekia, by driven by that desire to accomplish and to be. The other side of it is that when I gain a sense of connectedness with my destiny, a dream, an aspiration, a goal, when I set out what it is that I want to accomplish, and then I buy into that dream, mission, goal, and destiny, then I'm, I'm infused with a sense of power, with a sense of purposefulness, with a sense of drive that allows me to shatter through those blockages that tell me that I'm not good enough and never going to be anything. And this really begins, I think, and based on what he talks about there, uh, with a two-part process. The first is a visualization of our aspirations and goals, meaning trying to get in touch with 
our destiny, right? And, and sometimes that entails having a conversation with somebody. A lot of times it just entails sitting down and making a list. Um, practically speaking, one of the ways in which I've found that really works out is sit down, nurture yourself, some self-nurturing, get a nice coffee or whatever, whatever it is that you enjoy, a hot tea or an ice cream, whatever it is that you enjoy in the right chair, in the right room that's quiet. And it might not work out right away, but at some point, right when you jump back, take a few minutes to really nurture yourself and then sit down with a pen and a paper and start to do some free association and understand what is it that I want to accomplish soon in this coming period of time? What did I gain last time? What are the things I want to avoid? Start making a little bit of an inventory. And and the purpose of that inventory is not to use our cognitive mind to establish meaning and purpose. If you do that, you'll get way bogged down in all of those negative voices, but rather to try to tap into our inner sense of destiny and purpose. What is my dream? What is my mission? What is my aspiration? What is it that I want to do? What is it that I want to do? I didn't say, what is it you're going to do? Because if you get stuck in what you're going to do, there's no way you'll overcome those forces of darkness that hold you back, those abusive messages that come through. There's no way you'll overcome that if you're using your mind. But if you really just try to tap in, use the mind and the body as an exercise to really tap in to the inner resource of your own internal dream and aspiration of your destiny and have a sense, what is it that I want to accomplish in this coming period of time, this week, this month, this year? Right? What is it I practically want to do? And to really tap into that power. That's the first step, right? To connect with your zivik, to connect with your destiny. And then, and then what Rabbi Nachman says is a very powerful thing. And none of this is crazy novel. It's just beautiful the way that he lays it out. The next thing he says is two parts. He says it's all in the footwork. It's all about dancing. It's all about left foot, right foot, chopping wood and carrying water. It's all about taking action. So I gain a sense of of awareness of my aspirations and my goals and my dreams of where I'm headed, of what my destiny is. And then the next question I ask myself is what action can I take today? Not how can I make a plan of action to get there? What action can I take today to drive me forward? And that dancing, he actually literally talks about dancing, the dancing of a wedding. That's part of the frame of this teaching. The dancing is the, the lifting of the feet toward where you need to go. So instead, before you gather up a plan about how you're going to actualize this dream, aspiration, and destiny that you have, don't do that yet. Take a step back and first take action. Take some action. Take some action that will drive you towards your dream. You can make a plan later. You can scheme and plan about how you're going to accomplish what it is you're going to accomplish later. But in this early phase, when you're encountering all of those challenging voices, the first step is to take some positive action. Whether it ultimately leads you there or not, it's just the action itself. It's the moving of the feet. It's the chopping of the wood and carrying of the water. It's putting your left foot in front of your right foot, and then your left foot in front of your right foot, and then your left foot in front of your right foot. It's plowing forward. It's showing up to the office. Now, I showed up to the office anyway, but now when I'm showing up to the office with a sense of dream and aspiration and goal and destiny, the showing up to the office has other power. It has a different set of power. And then the next part, he says, and connected with the feet is the lips, he explains, related to a teaching in Kabbalah, right? Which is that the feet and the lips are connected to, to one another. And what, what he's really alluding to over there is the power of prayer. So I gain a sense of destiny. I gain a sense of drive and a missionhood. And the next thing for me to do is to take some action before I have a plan, before I figured the whole thing out, just to overcome that initial phase 
that initial challenge of being in a state of ekya. I want to overcome that to get to that secondary stage of stage of ekya where I'm driven and I'm motivated, take some action. And then the next thing is incorporate some prayer. Bring your higher power into your life. Move your lips. Let your words carry you to where you're meant to be. And then when you wake up a few days later and suddenly the internal resistance has floated away, that underlying anxiety has passed a little bit, now you're in a position to sit down and make a list and make a plan for how you're going to execute your vision, which is an incredibly important part thing to do. But if you start there, or you start by just being reactionary to the reactions, to the anxious reactions to your anxiety, you will end in despair, and you'll be overcome. And this is the key. This is a tremendous key. And this is what, I know what I've been thinking a lot about today, and it's why it took me three days to, ma- to make this episode, practically. So, if you're struggling out there, then um, this, is a, this is a real path. I, I really think this is a, a great prescription uh, for getting ourselves back on the wagon, uh, getting ourselves back in the cog of moving forward in our journey and our destiny towards ourselves. Thanks for listening to the Consciously Podcast. Consciously is a project of The Living Room, which is a division of Our Place New York, and made possible by the kindness of the Capellius family, in memory of Tsipora Basravaro. The host of Consciously is Menachem Posnansky and produced by Chaim Kohn, and our trusted assistant to the regional co-host, Shmaya Hanekman. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you can give us a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe on Apple or wherever else you get your podcasts. We sincerely welcome and appreciate your feedback, so please feel free to email us at consciously62 at gmail.com or on our Instagram and Facebook pages. Oh,